Welcome back, everybody. CFP Winning Edge, the podcast edition. I'm your host, Scott Bogman. Follow me on Twitter at Bogman Sports. Joined, as always, by the owner and proprietor of CFP Winning Edge, Nicholas Ian Allen. Follow him on the Twitter at CFP Winning Edge and Xavier Trish at Xavier underscore Trish, T-R-I-C-H-E. Uh, Nick, also join me on Betting Pros this week, so you can check that out if uh, you guys would like. I usually do that with my buddy Joe Pizapia, but he was out this week, so Nick stepped in. If you guys can believe it, Xavier, I mean, just be ready to be shocked. 36 minutes, the entire show. No. Nope. So, uh, I told Nick that we were capped at 30, so we went to 36. That sounds about right. So yeah, yeah, that uh, makes but, sense. Right, right, exactly. But uh, it was a fun time. But Nick, we're on uh, back onto longer form. Uh, so uh, lots going on this week uh, in all of football. But uh, how do we look for Week Nine? I, I mean, Week Nine was a, a pretty exciting week. The you know it started with a bang. Michigan, Michigan State was a great game. Uh, Georgia still remains dominant. I was surprised at, at uh, how well they played against Florida. I guess by now, you know, probably shouldn't be uh, a big surprise, but they continue to roll. Ohio State and Auburn beat ranked opponents. Um, Ohio State a little closer than most expected. Auburn pulled away, you know, by two scores, maybe a little bit more uh, than others expected. And then Iowa and Kentucky, who had started – really, really well uh, tumbled to their second straight losses. So uh, a lot of that, of course, impacted the uh, college football playoff committee rankings, which were released on uh, Tuesday for the first time. We had some coaching updates, all, all sorts of stuff going on. Yeah, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, so how uh, how how do we look as far as picks and all that stuff go for week nine? Uh, it was kind of a, a ho-hum week, uh, not, you know, certainly hate to be on the wrong side of 500. Our official projections were 24, 28, and 1 against the spread. Our uh, totals were 27 and 26. We put together another uh, embarrassing all three agree week, 4 and 10 last week, uh, 2 and 3 in the wrong team favored. So both of those are trending in the wrong direction, unfortunately. Uh, closing line value wasn't, you know, basically zero for the week, kind of evened out all around, which isn't, isn't great. 11.5 absolute error was, uh, was decent. And we kind of expected that we talked about how close our projections were to, uh, the point spreads that we grade against last week. Uh, and they're getting tighter and tighter this week, but we have started off, uh, the month of November and week 10, quite well uh those are are technically week 10 results but uh they were using week nine projections because maction is so early in the week uh and and all the teams were off so nothing really changed but we went six and oh on tuesday three and oh on nice. uh, sides three and oh on totals one and oh all three agree so we're off to a good start but like i tweeted out a little earlier today uh nowhere to go but down premiere <laughs> uh just always living in the positive nick so, you know uh it, it's uh it's been like you said it's been a difficult year uh for every prognosticator but uh you know uh, your your algorithm still ranks high i know that so uh we're, we're doing we're doing fine over here so uh, i i got the bad beats 
drove me nuts this week. And I got like my jaw is is uh, sticking out here. This the FSU ones, Javier. I was livid. I told everyone to take the under. They always could play to the under and they did for 59 minutes in 59 seconds. But uh, they scored a touchdown with time uh, <laughs> ran out. And the worst part about that was everyone had rushed the field. The game was over mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. made them go back to the sideline. And come back. The bad beats, uh, just they got to me. I was still I was six and four in my article, which I don't know how. So, but I could have been eight and two with that and the ULM fumble uh, at the end of the game just to cover that oh, nice. seven and a half because it was thirty. They lost by thirty one. But um, right. let's dive into it here, Nick. What week ten lines have you uh, the most confused? Because I think there's a couple to pick from this week. Uh, you know, I, honestly, I I feel like most of the lines make a lot of sense and you and i talked about it a little bit on on betting pros there were a few where i kind of feel like you know i wish maybe a percentage point here or there we would have fallen on on the other side but a lot of them opened similarly to where i thought similarly to where we projected they would on sunday when we do our our look ahead lines but there are several that feel kind of trappy uh quite honestly baylor Minus seven this week against TCU. TCU, of course, um, you know, uh, parted ways, let go, whatever the the right term is, uh, with Gary Patterson after 21 years. His impact there is is basically immeasurable. Um, And so you never quite know how a team is going to react after uh, losing a head coach midseason. We've seen a handful of teams bounce back and play really, really well, including USC, Washington State, Georgia Southern in that first game. But it's not something you can you know, quantify or, or really prepare for uh, one way or the other. You never know how a locker room is going to react. You never know uh, how, how that type of change will play out on the field. Iowa minus 12, even though Northwestern has been so bad this year, um, Iowa's offense, I mean, can we trust it to, to beat a team by nearly two touchdowns? Uh, Kentucky, we mentioned, is, has tumbled twice in a row, and they were involved in kind of a weird line last week that we drew attention to against Mississippi State. It ended up being absolutely right that Mississippi State should have been favored in that game, even though we had Kentucky uh, to cover. So only you know, two points against Tennessee seems like Kentucky, you know, should be able to win that game by a field goal or more, but there's, you know, maybe some red flags some trouble signs that Kentucky maybe got a little overrated based on its, its uh, strong start Arizona state and USC. I don't trust either of those teams. Um, <laughs> don't know that I can trust Arizona state to cover nearly double digits and then USC, you know, what, what to make of them with uh, the coaching changes, the quarterback situation, all kinds of stuff. And then one that's, that's just really, you know, you mentioned ULM and, and I was on that side with you last week, ULM to, to cover a big number uh, against app state this week. It's, it's a very small number, three and a half against Texas state. Uh, But our projections, once again, all line up on ULM and they've been, you know, hot and cold. Looks like they're getting some good quarterback, good quarterback play one week, and then you know have to bench uh, the quarterback <laughs> the next week. And so it's it's uh, there are there are definitely some numbers that that strike me as uh, 
you know, a little bit dangerous. I don't necessarily love where we fall. I don't love where we fall on Michigan State Purdue. I don't love where we fall on Wake Forest and North Carolina, as we'll talk about. But I don't know that there are a whole lot of lines that look, you know, off or, or really have me confused despite mentioning six or seven here uh, in part because last week I talked for so long about how our projections and our edges were so tight. We, I think set a, set a new record last week, uh, you know, with our, with our average difference in the, the uh, <laughs> uh, what have you, you know, against the, against the point spread, the consensus uh, point spreads. And this week it's even tighter. 1.9. I think it's our first time ever under two Jeez. for a full week. So yeah, margin of error, margin for error is uh, really, really tight. And, you know, hopefully some things bounce our way, but I, I think for the most part, at least the way we see it, you know, mm-hmm. the lines seem to be dead on more often than not. Xavier, do you, is there a line that you look at this week and go, uh, what, what the hell are they thinking? Yeah, I got a couple here. Uh, I think Iowa State being a six-point favorite over Texas is a little bit too rich for my blood. Iowa State coming off the loss to West Virginia. Texas has played really well, even though they've lost the last three weeks. They've all played those games fairly fairly well, in my opinion. Scott, you can disagree with me if you want to, even though you guys were were able to finish – you guys have played very well throughout three and a half quarters through most of those ball games. It's the first Iowa... time they lost three games in a row since 2016. I mean, yeah. uh, it's it's the three non-adjustment, though, right? It, yes, yeah. The schedule isn't great, but it's uh, it's making no adjustments at halftime. Going into all of those games up and losing all of them, frust- it's frustrating. You know, yeah. But my my team didn't just you know I'm not sitting Pollyanna coming off a World Series win. Uh, you guys should see Xavier decked out in all brand new champs gear by the way which he should wasted be. no time but it wasted no time absolutely so uh but go uh, yeah i mean it, it's been frustrating but go ahead i didn't mean to steal you no no you're right fine here, so. i i just think that when you're talking about no adjustments you're talking about iowa state here they either they don't make adjustments on offense in general i mean you're talking about probably <laughs> one of the more one-dimensional offenses in in the p5 you know what they're gonna do it's just gonna be a heavy dose of breeze hall and if that doesn't work then you'll probably get the Charlie Kolar maybe seven or eight times. And, and outside of that, then you're pulling that straws. Uh, so you talk about no adjustments. Texas might not have to make any adjustments this week uh, going after the second half because Iowa State's going to play the first half like they do the second half. Um, another one for me is Michigan State only by three um, against Purdue. Uh, I, I think that that's wildly under uh, underrated as far as how I feel like this Michigan State team showed their ability to win a shootout, which is what last week's game was. Yes, we've seen Michigan State have to grind out wins against some pretty underwhelming teams throughout the year. Uh, but last week, coming back down from 15 points, you know, it was 29-14 or 30-14, you know, in which they came back from. They showed that they have the offensive ability to score, score quickly and score efficiently. Uh, you know, and Kenneth Walker has to be, if not one of, has to be a top three Heisman runner right now. Uh, so, so he's think- not the top. I uh, We really? actually looked at this the other day. Um, uh, Bryce Young is still one. And How? then, uh, I know this is what I was talking <laughs> with Nick about this on Monday. Bryce Young is one. And then who was two, Nick? Um, uh, Corral still Corral. up there, That's but yeah, he's, Corral he's, uh, lost some, lost some, uh, momentum, lost some ground. And then Kenny Pickett's pretty high still. Uh, and I, and, and, uh, Caleb Williams is rising up up uh up the board. 
I don't think Williams is going to play in that game. They probably, just really don't want to give it to another position group this year, but quarterback. I don't think they could have that happen two years in a row. So here They're it is. just really staying away. Bryce Young plus 180. Kenneth Walker. Actually, it's flipped. Kenneth Walker plus 300 is now second. And C.J. Stroud plus 450. Stroud, right. Yeah, for uh, Matt Corral plus 550. And then you move into the only, uh, plus 800 for Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, better odds than Kenny Pickett right now. Plus 2,500 on Kenny Pickett. Can, can I get – I don't know if it scrolls that far down, but we got the odds on Stetson Bennett as the Heisman winner right now. I just uh, – He probably has that. lower Heisman odds than Jordan Davis. I Plus 15,000. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan Davis – and I just pulled up Bovada real quick. Jordan Davis is at uh, 80 to 1. Yeah. Yeah, 80 to 1. That's so, he's got, so he's got better yeah. He's got better odds than Stetson. Okay. Yeah, he's he's, uh, <laughs> he's he in there between Bijan Robinson and Brees Hall, who – basically have zero chance now based on their <laughs> team record. So right. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't, I, that surprises me a little bit that after last week's performance for Michigan state, that they're not higher or the thought of to be able to beat a Purdue team. I know that they played well against Iowa, but I wouldn't be so quick to say, okay, they're going to hold Michigan state within three points for an entire ball game. I mean, the last one for me was Oregon and Washington. Once again, Whatever love that Vegas has with Washington, I don't get it. But Oregon is only a touchdown favorite. I don't really understand it. Uh, Oregon has shown itself; it's bounced back from the Stanford loss pretty, ha- you know, uh, pretty well. Uh, they, they've been able to grind, you know, been able to grind out the win against Cal. But they were able, but, but Cal always puts out a pretty good defense. And even in that game in particular, I felt like Oregon missed a lot of chances, and I felt like they were trying to figure out what their offense was going to be like without CJ Verdell. They, they figured it out, and they're back to running, I feel like, closer to all cylinders that they possibly could without C.J. Verdell being there. And so I, I think this game is going to be a route against Washington, personally. I, I think generally have them as a touchdown favorite over a Washington team that has been absolutely abysmal this season. It, it is mind-numbing to me. And, it, it, and it's confusing because this is the, I think this is the second or third time on this podcast that I've brought up Washington as a team that was getting a little bit too much love from Vegas uh, when, when it came to, you know, how much they would either win or lose by. Uh, Nick, is there a team that you dislike more than Washington this year? <laughs> well, I mean, Washington is is one of the, you know, Washington in 2021 is going to be one of those teams that I bring up years from now where uh, we were way too high on them in the preseason and, and have been uh, basically on – Washington, it seems like almost every week. It Who worked was it out they last week, week against Stanford. Two? They lost to Montana. Montana State Go Grizz. Or somebody. Yeah, Montana. That's right. That's right. And uh, you know, it, it's just something's not right. And part of it is they performed pretty well in a lot of the uh, advanced numbers that carry pretty significant weight in our preseason projections in a very small sample in. Uh, 2020, same thing helped prop uh, Arizona State up in our, our early preseason rankings. Um, and it's just been difficult in part because of the uh, talent profile. I mean, they're they're pretty talented um, and they they do some things well. They still play decent defense. They're top 10 in passing defense, of course, against the run. They've been much more susceptible, but they've got a top 25 roster. And, you know, you see some flashes here and there, at least some pieces who are, uh, you know, have, have pro potential, you know, have the ability to be more productive than they have been. It's difficult for some models. I know FPI, I think, uh, if not them, 
or SP plus. I don't know. There are, there are other, uh, it's not just Vegas. There are other uh, statistical models who just can't quit Washington. We're one of them. We, you and I talked <laughs> on the betting pros uh, podcast that they are, you know, we have Washington covering in this game. Oregon hasn't been super impressive. They haven't really blown out too many teams. So that's part of it. Uh, part of it is the game is in Seattle. Part of it that doesn't go into our uh, formula is that it's a intense rivalry. It might be uh, the most heated rivalry in the Pac-12. If you just kind of follow how the fan bases react to one another on Twitter, I mean, it's it's you know it's not too far off from my vantage point uh, from some of the you know nastier SEC rivalries. Quite honestly, as as far as some of the hostility goes, so you know I think that is a factor that might help Washington keep it a little bit closer. It should be uh, a difficult environment for Oregon to play in. Um, so maybe that's wishful thinking on my part because Xavier, I do agree that Washington has been incredibly disappointing. They have, have uh, obviously fell far short of our expectations, many others expectations as well, but you know, there's just, there's some statistical reasons and, and some other uh, numbers that go into it that models like ours just can't seem to fully jump off board of Washington. Like I said, it worked out last week. They won a, you know, at Stanford outright, uh, when we had them as a, you know, as a wrong team favorite, that was one of the two that we were able to get. Can we get two in a row of, uh, you know, them? It's an all three agree uh, again this week for us on Washington. So can we get there? I don't have a ton of confidence in it, but I can at least, you know, talk out reasons as to why uh, it's not the most ridiculous thing in the world. But but I completely understand you're thinking that that Oregon should should win the game and and maybe should win it comfortably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and Washington has just been frustrating this year, even for Washington fans. Everybody knows that. Um, what about um, which week 10 games uh, show the biggest edge in our model, Nick? And, and uh, you know, how are you feeling about them? So uh, this has been a, you know, a, a somewhat rare bright spot for us. Uh, we were two and O last week on the games we discussed that had an edge of five points or more this season. That's been a decent spot for us. 60 and 52, which is a 53 and six or excuse me, 53.6% win rate. So not bad. I, I don't love either of these. And, and one of them, there's, there's only two we have this week of games with an edge bigger than 4.16. So, I mean, they are all just really, really right on uh, what the Vegas Insider consensus spread was at the time we published on Tuesday. Uh, but we do think Houston should be more than a 13-point favorite at USF. USF has looked better in recent weeks. They also are getting their starting quarterback back after he missed uh, their most recent game. They have a little bit of extra time to prepare for that game, and Houston is coming off a big win, potential let down spot traveling, you know, pretty, pretty good distance uh, in that game where, you know, expectations are relatively low for USF. So it certainly could be a, a you know, trap game type spot, but we think that uh, Houston should be closer to a three touchdown favorite than a 13 point favorite. So that's our, our biggest statistical edge. Uh, and then second to that 
is Notre Dame minus 21 against Navy. We see that as closer to a 28-point spread on paper. The problem, as we've discussed with Navy, uh, especially in recent weeks, is they play a style of football that helps them really you know, neutralize an opponent's talent advantage. And it didn't work very well early in the season, and, and we were able to get a couple of big Navy blowouts because our model has been so low on Navy. Uh, but they've turned it around. They made Cincinnati look, uh, you know, human, <laughs> or you know, made made they Navy had as much to do with Cincinnati getting, you know, the spot they did in the playoff rankings as anybody else. It had had that game played out like our model or or others. Uh, expected with a Cincinnati just complete blowout from beginning to end, you know, maybe they would have been a spot or two higher, but Navy was able to, you know, play a, a, a shorten the game, uh, limit possessions, all that good stuff. They could, they could do that to Notre Dame as well. In 2019, Notre Dame blew them out. A pretty good Navy team blew them out. Uh, so it, it, games can get, they can go sideways if Notre Dame is able to, pick up some big plays, score some, you know, long touchdown, something like that on their first few drives, uh, Navy won't be able to catch up. But if Navy can bend Notre Dame sort of to its will, drive the field itself, eat up, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine minutes of possession at a time, then, you know, this is going to be a, a 10 point Notre Dame win or, or maybe even a little bit tighter. It's certainly a game Notre Dame should win. They're by far the better team. But Navy, especially recently, has done a good job of, uh, you know, just really throwing out the numbers and, and uh, making games closer than they probably should have been. So don't have a lot of confidence in that. I like the Houston one a little bit more, but there are certainly reasons why that one could be off as well. But uh, this has been a, you know, uh, at least compared to things like all three agree, unfortunately, uh, these bigger edges, um, which should play out pretty well for us, uh, have been, you know, a, a bright spot. So perhaps it's an opportunity for us. All right, let's go to the games that we have selected for this week. And uh, we're going to start with one of my picks. And this is one where I look at the line and I just kind of had an eyebrow raise because I thought it would be much bigger than this. It's Liberty on the road against Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a nine and a half point favorite. The over is very high at 67 and a half. How do you see this one going, Nick? This one all depends, I think, on personnel. Is Matt Corral going to be able to play? He was able to return after what looked like a pretty significant ankle injury uh, last week against Auburn. But was it adrenaline was it you know something that that he was able to you know tape up maybe uh get a shot i don't know and and you know get back out there in the heat of the moment but then next day did it blow up to the size of a cantaloupe i know he didn't practice i think uh their first day back um yeah did not practice on november 1st i haven't heard uh since but you know is he going to be able to play that's that's the first question also beyond that What's the receiving core look like? Because Ontario Drummond went down uh, in that game last week. They were already without Jonathan Mingo and Braylon Sanders. Is Drummond going to be able to come back? Is Sanders, you know, going to be able to get back uh, after missing last week? You know, John Reese Plumley's super fast thousand yard rusher uh, a few years ago 
but you don't really, at least based on what we've seen so far this year, don't really want him, uh, you know, playing 50 snaps at receiver if you're on Ole Miss. That's just not necessarily showing that that, that receiving group is, is at its maximum capacity. Jacor Pearson's really stepped up, been a go-to guy, uh, but that that unit is thin, and, and so they've had to kind of cover up some, uh, you know, trouble spots, get creative a little bit offensively, and they're going to have to take that to another level if Matt Corral is either not able to play or – uh, you know, not 100%. They can run the ball really well, and you would expect that they'll be able to continue that against Liberty. They rank 11th in rushing team performance on offense. That's even better than their passing uh, rating. They're 17th in, in passing and number nine offensively overall. Uh, but the biggest reason why this line is closer, and I kind of saw it coming because, you know, we do have the projected point spreads for every game all year, have had them. Uh, the entire, you know, since the summer, basically. And it's been a single digit projected point spread all all year. And a large part of that is because of the quarterback position. And Malik Willis, you know, hasn't necessarily been 100%. He's dealing with his own uh, foot injury. But he is a uh, an elite quarterback, or, you know, at least from a productive standpoint production standpoint uh, he certainly has caught the eye of a lot of nfl draft scouts the tools are uh just you know uh, he has a lot to work with and he's done really really well since transferring from auburn to liberty he's a 97 rated player in our individual player ratings that's just three points a little less than three points uh below matt corral who's maxed out at 100 so uh those two players carry a lot of weight right now even though we do uh still consider corral corral we do, our, our projection does expect him to play um it kind of evens out you know having willis versus corral and of course the quarterback position is the biggest part of our roster strength ratings the biggest part uh, of any individual position there. So for Liberty to be able to, to basically pull even with Ole Miss is doing a lot of the work to make that a one possession projected point spread, basically. Liberty also is, you know, played pretty well. The strength of schedule, not near what Ole Miss has. I mean, we had 115th in the preseason uh, and Ole Miss is, is easily the best team they will have played this year so you would expect the the teams that they played probably 120 plus uh, as far as strength the schedule goes but they've done well against the competition that that they played other than that just inexplicable loss to ulm when uh willis was was uh i believe he was injured in that game right that was part of it maybe um but regardless they're playing it at a, at a decent level still um they did have even a you know 55% postgame win expectancy in that loss to ULM. So that was uh, kind of unexpected based on the box score after the game. But they've posted a uh, team performance rating of 19th overall, 21st on offense, and 39th on defense. And, and part of the big uh, you know, thing that Liberty can do is rush the passer. So if Corral is limited, if his if his uh, you know legs are not as uh, you know if he's not able to escape as well as he has in the past, if he's not able to 
uh, you know, do uh, quarterback runs like he was able to do in the past, design runs, I mean. Then, you know, guys like Treshawn Clark, uh, Darrell Johnson, who it sounds like is going to be back from an injury, uh, Akil Washington, these edge-type players for Liberty might have an opportunity to, to get after him a little bit. So it, it's it's going to be a fun game to watch, I think. And, and I don't, you know, you know our model struggles with those high point totals. Uh, we don't see 67 getting there. But assuming Willis is pretty close to 100%, uh, I think he'll be able to, you know, keep Liberty in this game, at least keep it to, to single digits. That's what our projections say we see it somewhere in the range of 35 29 you know you throw we haven't even mentioned Hugh Freeze that's kind of another storyline interesting uh angle to that former former Ole Miss head coach obviously so uh a lot going on in this game two great quarterbacks I hope they'll be uh full strength close to full strength but even so expect it to be a, a pretty close game closer to a touchdown than the uh nearly double digits that that uh is projected now or, or the point spread that's posted now. Xavier, uh, what do you, what do you think of this game? Because uh, like I said, I'm not surprised that I'm not surprised that this is the spread. I'm just surprised because usually when you see a G five team versus an sec team, it's an automatic double digits. Right. Uh, and that was the thing that surprised me here. Do you think Liberty can keep pace with Ole Miss? There is a lot going on there. Like uh, Nick mentioned, what do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I, I think, and, and firstly, before I talk, I think whoever wins, whoever has the best showing of this game could make a claim for being the first quarterback taken uh, in this year's draft. I wouldn't Absolutely. be surprised if a lot of people looked at this game as a possible, you know, audition for that role. Um but yeah, I, I don't know to answer your question because personally, when I when I look at Ole Miss, you're not tip, talking about a typical SEC defense, right? How many weeks have we come in here and talked about Ole Miss's defense being pretty abysmal on all fronts? Uh, you know, their best performance this year was probably the first game of the year against Louisville. Uh, you know, if, if we're being honest with ourselves, maybe a couple of weeks ago versus Tennessee, you may be able to put it as one, maybe a one B. Uh, but Ole Miss hasn't been able to put together many great or even good defensive performances this year uh, and oftentimes it's been their offense to either one win, in the, win them the game by just taking you know by scoring you know just outscoring the other team by a, a tremendous amount or they keep the other offense off the field it really hasn't been their defense necessarily hunkering down and, and locking up um, but in this game I just feel like you know if Matt Corral is healthy you know um, more importantly what we get out of what, what what will we get out of Malik Willis coming into this game you know I, I re-watched the ULM game because I feel like that's the footage that maybe people feel like he's figured out in that ball game. You know, I don't think you really figure out a guy from one game. Uh, he's played pretty tremendously throughout the rest of the season. Just he had a really really bad game in that one. Um, and in that game, they really really just tried to make him an athlete and not allow him to be a quarterback. Right. So they sent a myriad of blitzes. They made they they got him off of his spot and they said essentially. We're going to make you run. We're going to turn you back into an athlete, similarly to what people like to do against Derrick King when they really don't want him to be able to use his arm talent whatsoever. They make him, they turn him into a runner, you know, and you can only run so much as a quarterback before ultimately you're hurting your team or you're you're getting hurt yourself, right? And, you know, we talk about these long, you know, we talk about, you know, when it happens when they become an athlete, you know, when you run 15, 20 yards versus just throwing that far, it's also a fatigue situation, right? If every drive you're having to, put together you know thir th three third down 
completions or three third down runs to keep the drive going. Your quarterback's eventually going to be tired, and that also help hurts him mentally down the stretch as fatigue starts to set in. Uh, so that's what you saw from ULM in that game. On the other end, they really just went after their corners. Right. So that is if you're looking at Ole Miss to be a winner in this game and a winner big, that's exactly what they did. They spread them out. They put them in an air raid type situation. They went four wide and they said, cover us. Right. And we're talking about ULM versus Ole Miss as far as the ability to cover here uh, or who you're covering. And so if any confidence from a person that's betting the over in this game, that's what you should definitely look for is that Liberty's secondary is just not where it needs to be to play against this Ole Miss ball club, especially with, and Nick alluded to it, with the fact that they've been so balanced on the offensive end. You know, Snoop Connor has been great for them this year. You know, the, the on top of a passing game that I think has actually been a little bit, be, has been behind the running game in a lot of, in a lot of situations, like what Nick said, you know, and if, whether that's also because of the legs of Matt Corral or whether that's just because they don't have the chemistry on the outside that they would like to have, They've been running the ball more so than I would ever have thought, you know, coming into this season. Um, on the flip side of that, though, if you have any confidence in Liberty winning this game, you watch that Auburn film from Ole Miss because that's what ULM is going. That's what Liberty's going to try to do with Malik Willis. They're going to try to, you know, give him as many designed QB runs to keep Ole Miss's defense honest. Uh, just like they did last week with Bo Nix uh, for Auburn. And, and it really kept Ole Miss off their feet, uh, you know, on their toes all game. And they really had no answer uh, because they were doing it on downs in which you didn't really expect. There were a couple third and sevens that they let Bo Nix just go. And, and that's not something you necessarily predict as a defensive coordinator that on this play, we're, you know, on a third and long, we're going to let Bo Nix run the football. You know, that's just not something you typically see. But Malik Willis is equal to if not a better athlete than what you see from Bo Nix so I wouldn't be surprised if that's the kind of play calling that you see from Liberty coming into this game all in all I think Ole Miss wins this game but I do think that Liberty covers I think this is going to be a close game I don't know the health of Matt Corral and I wonder if that hinders their offense a little bit because he has been so adept at using his legs this season uh but ultimately and I've said this week in and week out but I'm, I'm no longer going to say it because even though they have an elite offense that defense has been garbage and it's hurt them more times than not in this season i mean this is a team that could easily be six and one and could have a and you know essentially be have an opportunity if, if for the alabama loss later on this year being in that being an sc title game not you know and instead they do not control their destiny whatsoever they would need auburn to lose i think two more times to even get, have an opportunity, but also be Alabama. So, like, it, they, you know, and so I feel like at this point, the defense has just been so inconsistent for me that, or they've been consistently bad, that I'm going to have <laughs> to say that Liberty covers in this game because I just don't see where their defense all of a sudden wakes up in this game against such a talented quarterback when they haven't been able to do it against much, much lesser quarterbacks. All right, let's go to the next game here. And look, I love this game. I think this is going to be a fun one to watch. Michigan State at Purdue. Michigan State is a three-point favorite. 54 is the over. But uh, look, Purdue doesn't, uh, you know, always put it together, but they're having a good year, and they love to go big game hunting. You know, this is what they do is teams in the top five, they like to take down, took down Iowa earlier this year, right? So um, I just, it's a dangerous, you know, that you just beat Michigan. Like you mentioned before, this could be a possible letdown spot, Nick. What do you think about this game? I I really was hoping that this line would have been closer to a touchdown because I wanted I wanted our projection to be on Purdue. I I think I, I it's not that I think Michigan State is at all a bad team. Obviously they are 
deserving of a spot in the top three of, of the college football playoff rankings that were released this week. They, you know, Mel Tucker and his coaching staff have done an incredible job in the turnaround in just one year, not only the way they rebuilt the roster, but they were able to, uh, you know, uh, elevate the play of quarterback Peyton Thorne, that receiving group, uh, you know, defensively, they, they made a lot of strides. This was a team that last year, and of course, last year was, was strange, but 97th, they finished 97th in overall team performance, 118th on offense and 63rd on defense. This year, they rank 11th in team performance, 25th on offense and 20th on defense. Those are among the biggest gains of, of any team in college football. And they have a big win against Michigan in a rivalry game. They're undefeated. But still, you know, there's there's something that our numbers don't quite really trust Michigan State uh, in, you know, to, to take care of business down the stretch. I don't think very many people expect, even though they're third in the rankings right now, for them to finish there. They still have to play Ohio State. They still have to play uh, Penn State, who not as you know, difficult maybe as it looked uh, just a few weeks ago. But, you know, I personally think that Michigan State's probably going to end up with two losses. Will it be this week? Will one of them be this week against Purdue? I think there's a decent chance. I mean, you mentioned the, the letdown spot. Um, Purdue has a top uh, 16 defense. They rank 16th in defensive team performance, uh, 19th against the pass, only 46th against the run. So that's a, you know, that is an area where Michigan State uh, might have an edge with Kenneth Walker and, and that offensive line, which is, again, one of the most improved units in college football. Uh, but George Karloftis, potential first round edge rusher. I mean, the, the guy is, uh, you know, can take over a game. So if, if Michigan state's not able to run the football and, and has to rely on, uh, that passing attack, that absolutely would play into Purdue's hands because they can really get after the quarterback. And if that's the case, Jalen Naylor went down with a hand injury, missed the rest of the game was bandaged up uh, on the sideline. So if if he's not able to go, then Purdue's going to be able to limit uh, Jaden Reed and, you know, might have uh, – be able to, to, to put an extra person in the box, what have you, to, to uh, kind of slow down Walker and, and that running game. But, you know, it, it's just it's – a, it's a spot that favors Purdue. They get them at home. Uh, Purdue is not going to be intimidated – Purdue also needs just one win for full eligibility. They're still alive in the Big Ten West because it seems like everybody's still alive in the Big Ten West. So there's just a lot of outside factors that make this a really, really tricky spot for Michigan State. All that said, our projection is is on Michigan State to cover. The, the line, as it was posted when we released our projections to our patrons on Tuesday, was uh, three, and, and we have Michigan State favored by nearly four. Um, they have a talent edge right around, you know, two and a half, 2.7. The stats model, because it takes into account the previous three to five years, in addition to what's happened this year, Purdue actually has a, a chance, according to that one, to win outright by a touchdown. So uh, past history favors the Boilermakers, but this Michigan State team is so different from the last three to five years 
that you know you kind of have to to uh, you know can't really put too much stock in that. So I I don't have obviously our numbers don't see a huge edge. Do see Michigan State uh, winning and covering. I think it will be a close game one way or the other. Purdue has some of the best individual players in the Big Ten and Karloftis, uh, you know, wide receiver. Um, I wanted to call him Greg Bell. That's not right. Uh, David Bell, uh, you know, one of the best receivers in college football. They got Xander Hobarth back, who, you know, was really productive at, at running back in 2020. He's been hurt pretty much all year. They seem to have figured out their quarterback situation a little bit. So, you know, Purdue seems to, to be gaining strength leading into this game. And it's a tricky spot. So uh, I will be rooting for Michigan State to get it done and win by a touchdown or so. Uh, But it would not surprise me at all if Purdue, you know, keeps this to with a a game winning field goal one way or the other and even pulls out the outright upset. I think our our let me see our final score prediction is 28 24. So uh, if Michigan State comes out with that, absolutely. But I I could see Purdue winning by that uh, same score as well. Javier, how do you see this one going? Uh, you know, Purdue uh, upset some teams. Um, you know, it, it's kind of what they do. Uh, they, Like I said, they like to go big game hunting, but Michigan State seems like a very, very solid team this year. So how do you see this one now? Yeah, this game is going to be close. I'm going to say it right now. And I, I'm not drinking the Purdue Kool-Aid after they were able to beat Iowa um, because they really showed they, they show me at least – to an extent, how inconsistent they are defensively. They shut down an Iowa run game that we would all think at that point they were number two in the country, may have been the best run game in the you know in the Big Ten. And the very next week, they gave up 300 yards rushing to Wisconsin. And so that tells me right there that at the at the peak, this Purdue team can really shut it down if they have to. George Karloftis and company are a really good unit up front. However, how consistent can they do that week in and week out? And I'm not sure, you know, so sure that they can and that they will, right? This is a team that beat Nebraska last week by five points, and Adrian Martinez threw four picks. So we're not talking about an amazing offense here that could take advantage of even the most turnover-prone teams. And we're talking about a Michigan State team that not only takes care of the football, even though they did have a turnover last week against Michigan, but also has the ability, you know, to score fast with Jalen Naylor if he's able to play, you know, but also with Kenneth Walker, who I genuinely think is probably – I don't even think this is actually a, a hot take or anything, but at this point it's got to be thought of as the best running back in the country or one of. you know. And, and I think Michigan State has the ability that Iowa did not have, and that's passing the football. You know, They believe in Peyton Thorne throwing the ball. Iowa had very little trust in Spencer Petras throwing the football whatsoever. You know, they, they kept his throws to, you know, seven yards, you know, and under. They were, you know, every now and then they would take a shot play, but he didn't even look comfortable doing that himself. Uh, you know, very little five or, or seven-step drops, a lot of three-step drops, a lot of early reads. In that Michigan game, you saw a concerted effort from Michigan State, especially early on, to get Peyton Thorne comfortable with throwing the football down the field. Yes, he threw an early interception, but he also got very comfortable throwing the ball eight to 15 yards in the intermediate range where it just keeps the defense just honest enough to where you can't put the linebackers, you know, two feet from the football and say, try to beat us with your run game. And I think that's the difference in what Michigan State has and what an Iowa brings to the table. Also feel like up front, their run schemes are different. Iowa's a team that loves to run stretch plays. 
which takes a long time to develop and allows for athletes like a George Karloftis and company to get after it, you know, and, and break those up very quickly. Where I feel like Michigan is a little bit more in between the tackles. They're going to try to beat you up for four quarters. And then by the fourth quarter, they're going to those, you know, two to three yard rushes turn into seven, 10 yard rushes. Uh, you know, that's literally what Mel Tucker said coming into the Michigan game. He said we are going to out, you know, he said we're going to punch them until they give up. And I mean, at some point, Michigan did, you know, and, and they gave up big plays for Kenneth Walker late in that game. As you could really see, the defense was fatigued. Um, and so I think that those body blows are a little bit different than the Iowa team that likes to run stretch plays that likes to run a little bit more finesse run style. You know, they can run it up the middle, too. Don't get me wrong, but they run a little bit more of a finesse run style than Purdue was able to really get after that and get into that backfield really quickly. So I think Michigan State wins this game pretty handedly. Um, the other part, and I'm not even talking, I didn't even mention this, but Peyton Thorne can run. So he's an athlete. You know, Spencer Petrus is a totem pole back there. He's not moving. <laughs> that there, is, there is no movement in those feet. Um, you know, and that was something that really hampered him in that Iowa, in that uh, Purdue game as well, was that, you know, when there was pressure in on the pocket, Spencer Petras just stood there and took it. It, it, was, it was bad. It, it was it was rough to watch, whereas Peyton Thorne is a much better athlete. He'll get out the pocket. He'll throw on the run. And more importantly, he'll use his legs when he has to. Well, all that being said, I don't see how Purdue's able to stay in this game for four quarters. Like in the Wisconsin game, I think they would be able to maybe stay in until halftime in that Wisconsin game that they lost 30 to 13. They It was 13-13 at halftime. I think, you know, you'll get the you'll get the message on ESPN at halftime, you know, upset alert. Michigan State is tied with Purdue right now. And then the game will end somewhere in the range of 27 to 13 or 35 to 13. And Michigan State will dominate that second half. Uh, so I like Purdue. And, and this isn't me completely crapping on them. I love George Karloftis. I think he's a top five pick, top 10 pick. I think David Bell was one of the best receivers of college football. But they're too big. This game is too big for their bridges. And I think Michigan State goes in there and handles business. All right, we will see the next game up on the list here. Tennessee at Kentucky. Kentucky is a two-point favorite here, Nick. 57 is the over. Uh, this should be a nice, fun, close SEC battle to watch. Yeah, and, and you know, just looking back at the most recent schedule, Kentucky hasn't won a game in almost a month now. They have two losses and a, a bye week in there. Uh, last win was at, uh, against LSU on October 9th. And this Kentucky team, the last you know couple of games, really hasn't looked good. Uh, Will Levis seemed like he uh, had taken the next step and, and really helped uh, you know, that quarterback position, solidify that position and, and make Kentucky more of a down the field threat early when they were, you know, putting up a bunch of points against ULM and, and you know, looked pretty good against Missouri. But that September schedule, looking back on it, really, you know, maybe we didn't learn quite as much as, as we thought. They were able to go and, and play Florida and LSU, get wins there against far from perfect teams, teams that have had you know plenty of, of uh, issues that they've been dealing with that's been you know playing out and, and perhaps uh, making them have some disappointing results on the field. But then against Georgia and then last week against Mississippi State, you know, I, I wasn't I wasn't shocked that they lost against Mississippi State, but they weren't even really in the game. Um, you know, post-game win expectancy numbers from collegefootballdata.com, 0% for Kentucky in back-to-back -back weeks. And against Georgia, yeah, that made sense. But last week against Mississippi State, didn't, didn't see that coming. So they're going to have to show a lot of improvement, I think, against Kentucky, or excuse me, against Tennessee, who, you know, it's not exactly 
the same offense that Mississippi State runs. They run it even faster. Uh, and they've had an extra week to prepare. And, and so, you know, it's not a great matchup on that side of things. Kentucky does get this game at home. Um, but they've, they've got some issues. In addition to Levis just not playing all that well, Christopher Rodriguez, who I love as a running back, uh, has had trouble holding on to the football. They've had some injuries on the offensive line. Dare Rosenthal has, has been banged up. Um, you know, and he's been the starting left tackle and, and uh, one of their better players there. They've had some injuries getting a little bit healthier, it seemed like, on the defensive line, but they've had some guys miss time there as well. So this Kentucky team, which is talented, but maybe not, you know, super deep compared to uh, some of the other, you know, highly ranked SEC teams, the margin for error is getting smaller and smaller. And we're seeing that reflected in our projections and in uh, the, the, you know, Vegas point spreads as well. We do still like Kentucky. We do still respect Kentucky. Uh, After last year, you know, we say, and I think every time they come up in conversation, uh, this year's projections are much, much more favorable to Kentucky than last, but they're starting to, to really, you know, show some weakness and Tennessee has made some improvements. Hendon hooker is, you know, how in the world was he not the starting quarterback, right? I mean, Joe Milton, uh, when the season started, uh, maybe, maybe practice, you know, what have you, I, I don't know. And I know Milton's got just a, an arm you can fall in love with. But Hooker has just completely elevated the level of play of this offense, and they are starting to look like what we should expect that Tennessee offense to look like in in the next couple of years under Josh Heupel. They have made more progress than I expected in year one, and they're top 30 in yards per play against uh, FBS opponents. They're 31st in points per drive, non-garbage time against FBS opponents only, 20th in yards per pass attempt against FBS opponents, top 40 in success rate, and 45th in EPA per play offensively. I didn't expect that. I, I expected maybe they'd you know have a lot of garbage time, uh, you know, passing yards and, and things like that. But this has been a decent offense and, and a big improvement over the offensive numbers that they've had in recent years. They were 90th in offensive team performance in 2020, 74th in 2019, 88th in 2018, 117th in 2017 so they've been a a pretty decent one-year turnaround and i think it's going to get better now that hooker is you know healthy he had been banged up and the the offense they're they're starting to find their stride here in in the second half of the season they you know played alabama pretty close until that fourth quarter ended with only a four percent post-game win expectancy but the last couple of weeks even though they're coming in on two losses like Kentucky, uh, you know, they, they were not embarrassed, I don't think, in, in either game. So this is absolutely a game that Tennessee can win. Uh, they need – I don't know the situation for Cade Mays on the offensive line. That's, a, that's uh, an area of concern because he was injured in uh, the game against Ole Miss and missed the Alabama game with a low-body injury. If he's not able to play because he's almost a 100-rated player – you know, that, that's a big loss. Um, if he's back and fully healthy, then I really do like Tennessee. Our projection would be a little bit closer. As it stands, we are on Kentucky to win and cover. Then being at home, obviously, is, uh, you know, a big uh, part of that. But, 
in some ways I, I trust the Tennessee offense more than I do uh, Kentucky right now. It's just will that Kentucky defense, which ranks 33rd in team performance, but 58th against the pass, are they going to be able to slow down that Tennessee offense? You know, and, and even though Tennessee ranks 79th in passing team performance, the the potential is there for that to be you know a top 30, top 20 unit, especially with Hooker operating on on you know at full strength and that receiving core coming along. So I think that this is pretty close to a toss up. Uh, if Kentucky wins by a touchdown, I will consider uh, myself you know quite fortunate to to kind of narrowly uh, thread the needle there, but a lot like the Purdue game, even though, you know, venue is different. I could see Tennessee uh, finding a way to win this game. Uh, I mean, Xavier, are, are you going to be able to say a positive thing about Tennessee yeah. in, in this? Uh, so, all right, well, let's hear it. Tennessee, Kentucky. Who do you got? Tennessee has nice jerseys. All right. <clears throat> in the positivity. So when, 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 when you talk about this game, I understand the rise of Hendon Hooker and how good he has been. The only concern I have around that is the fact that he has been the offense. You know, when you look at the games in which they won this year, he not only has he been the leading passer, obviously, but he's also been the leading rusher in a lot of those games as well. And you're wondering when that will flame out. You know, your quarterback being the leading rusher and leading passer does not pan out in the long run. Shout out to Nebraska. Uh, but, you know, I, I just don't see that, you know, that being able to be, you know, he can't continue to do that all year in a winning fashion. Um, you know, you saw a little bit in the last game when they played my, uh, Alabama. You know, he was the guy. You know, he ran for 26 yards. He was the second leading rusher, even though he had the most amount of carries. And he had to also throw for three touchdowns. And, you know, even though he gave a pretty good game in the first half, you really just saw that there was just too much talent on the side of Alabama and Tennessee could not hold up. Um, and on the flip side of that, I just feel like Kentucky has, you know, I feel like the Georgia game broke them. I, I don't know if you know that's the, the right word, but it, it's happened to not only them, but also happened to Arkansas, where like after the Georgia game, they kind of just poof, hit a plummet. And they just haven't been able to pick up the pieces since like all of the, you know, all of the hype around them possibly being an undefeated or being an undefeated team and being a ranked team has gone away to an extent, you know, trying to get some of that confidence back, right? It's like a prize fighter. After he loses his first fight, how can he come back and win now that he doesn't have a zero in the loss column? You know, and that was a very unimpressive way to lose to Mississippi State last week. You know, not only did you only score 17 points, but only 10 of that came from your offense. You know, uh, one of that was a punt return. So you can't even say that the offense had a, a decent day at the offense. It was really bad. Uh, Will Levis looked out of his depth last week. And, you know, you really look at it. Mississippi State didn't have to do much from an offense perspective. That's how me. That's just how, you know the turnovers really went for them last week. It really felt like Kentucky kind of got out of their game. They were having Will Levis throw these deep balls, you know, testing the defense. And they really felt like they got away from the fact that they were a run heavy team. And it was too late to really get into that when you're already down, you know, 21 to 10 and you got to throw the football now. And so I think Kentucky gets back to that this weekend gets Tennessee. Uh, they, 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 Hopefully Chris Rodriguez has gotten rid of the fumbles, you know, uh, and passed that on because he did have two of them last week as well. I think they combined for six turnovers as a team. It was a really rough afternoon. I mean, when you do that, even though on the flip side, Mississippi State wasn't great offensively, they really don't have to do much to put the ball in the end zone when they're getting it at their own 30, you know, more times than not. So 
I think Kentucky gets back to themselves this week and gets a Tennessee team. It helps that they're at home. Um, it also helps that as, as of right now, you really look around the SEC and in the East, they're the only other ranked team left. You know, it's them and Georgia. You know, so they, they have an opportunity here. To, they're playing for a pretty big bowl game at this point. When you really look at a grand scheme, they're playing for an opportunity to still stay in that possibly New Year's six kind of space. If, you know, if, if a team like Alabama were to win out, you know, or, you know, and uh, you're looking at a really, you know, a nice bowl game for a Kentucky team who has over the last couple of years has really had the opportunity to do so. You're also looking at, I think, their first double digit win season if they were able to win out correct yeah they finished 10 and 2 so and you really think that tennessee might be their last big test you know after this they got vandy they should win that game new mexico state they should win that game and louisville at the end of the year so 10 wins would be the first time i think in a while in the regular season uh for a kentucky team uh maybe you know so they're still playing for a lot at kentucky and i think they're able to get you know right the ship this week and is there a chance and i know this sounds really crazy but is there a chance that tennessee overlooks kentucky for the georgia game next week i don't even know is that, is that even a possibility when you're not the favorite team coming no. in but it sounds like something a tennessee team could do i'm just saying it feels like an excuse that, it just feels like <laughs> an excuse is. a tennessee fan would have it's like oh we weren't really caring about kentucky we were way over georgia we were just resting everybody coming into this week right uh, but you know, I, I think Kentucky wins this game. I think they win it pretty handedly. Uh, if they can contain Hendon Hooker, who is essentially all Tennessee's offense wrapped into one human being at this point. I mean, I just there's no way you can afford to look over any team uh, when in you're the four SEC four? when you're when you're 500. Right, exactly. So uh, just cannot do it. Uh, next game up here, another Xavier special: Oklahoma State at West Virginia. Nick, Oklahoma State is a three point favorite. 49 is the over. We talked about this one on betting pros a little bit. Um, you know, okay. State great against the spread this year, six and two, but this is a tough place to travel and play at in West Virginia. So how do you see this game playing out? Yeah, and, and Xavier did me a favor as well. Both of you did me a favor because I, uh, had to, to write this preview for Athlon sports this week, just finished writing that up. So, uh, should, you know, have my talking points in, in order here. And you mentioned the trip. I'm always, I always take note anytime West Virginia is playing a conference game at home because you mentioned it earlier today on the, on the betting pro show, you know, it's difficult to get to Morgantown, West Virginia from just about anywhere. And from Oklahoma, from Iowa, from Texas. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a trek. And you know, that is a factor, just the timing of it, just the logistics of it, but also it's a pretty tough place to play. And West Virginia was able to upset Iowa State last week and Iowa State that had still, you know, despite a couple of uh, disappointing results, had kind of climbed its way back into uh, maybe the Big 12 title conversation and they were able to go in and, and uh, knock them off. Jared Dagey has played really well in recent weeks through a couple of interceptions last week, but put up big passing yardage Had you know, they relied on him more last week than they had in any game this season, maybe any game since he's arrived in Morgantown. And, and this is somebody who they had been rotating in a more athletic, uh, you know, productive runner in Garrett green, the backup there to try to give them a little bit of, of diversity in the, uh, run game behind Letty Brown, but Deggy, you know, it, it seems to be working. The the you know West Virginia, the two quarterback system, uh, it, it it at least in the last couple of weeks, and they are still just uh, you know two and four in uh, conference play. 
but they're moving in the right direction, have made some progress. The receiving core is deep. There's not, you know, one outstanding go-to guy, but they've got, you know, four receivers and Brown is also, uh, you know, in the mix, a productive guy out of the backfield. So the offense is uh, capable. It's not explosive necessarily. It's not, uh, you know, doesn't, they don't put up huge numbers every week. They don't even grade out all that well in a lot of the analytical uh, numbers. I mean, 57th in yards per play against FBS opponents, 62nd in points per drive, 69th yards per pass, 59th success rate. So everything is basically on the outside of mediocre. And they're still kind of rounding into form, and, and they're a dangerous team. Oklahoma State is not much different offensively. Spencer Sanders is playing quite well. His last two games might be the best back-to-back games we've seen in uh, you know over a year from him. He's finding maybe a little bit of level of consistency that had been missing. Um, Oklahoma State also has a workhorse running back in Jalen Warren, similar to, to you know Letty Brown in a lot of the numbers or at least the uh, amount of uh, work that he is asked to do both as a runner and uh, as a receiver. He's, he's added a little bit of an element, you know, out of the backfield as well, or at least kind of a, a check down guy. Uh, Tay Martin, so, you know, different than West Virginia, is a go-to guy, at least the last couple of weeks, or, or excuse me, at least, uh, you know, this year. I think he has 400-yard receiving games. All of those were uh, in the first two months of the year. Um or excuse me, the, the, the first six weeks of the year. Uh, but, you know, they're rounding it out a little bit. Braylon, Brennan Presley uh, had a big game recently. Rashad Owens, redshirt freshman. They've been playing a lot of true freshmen at receiver. But Tay Martin has been that go-to guy, has stepped up and, and given Sanders somebody that he can look for on third down, look for in the red zone. And it's it's paid off. He's a big target and he's worked out you know, pretty well, but the offense is not statistically speaking, you know, really uh, explosive or, or super highly productive 86 in yards per play, 63rd points per drive, 58th yards per pass, 73rd in success rate, 73rd in EPA per play. The difference is on defense and those numbers defensively, Oklahoma state has a top 25 defense. They rank sixth actually in defensive team performance, seventh against the run, 23rd against the pass. But they're 13th in yards per play allowed against FBS opponents, 11th in points per drive, 31st in success rate, 12th in EPA per play. The passing defense is, is susceptible at times. They are 41st in yards per pass attempt. Uh, but you know even that is, is better than West Virginia's uh, best defensive metric in those categories. They are outside of the top 60 in all four. And then against the past, they're actually 103rd is the worst. So, you know, they're comparable talent wise. They're comparable the way the quarterbacks are playing, the way the running backs are playing. The receiving core sets up differently, but they both get the job done. The only difference is Oklahoma State has a much better defense, uh, at least according to the, the most important numbers that I'm looking at. So I think that will help to offset. The home field advantage helps to offset the travel. Both teams will be highly motivated. West Virginia still needs two wins to get to bowl eligibility. They've got Kansas on the schedule, but the other three are, you know, toss-ups at this point. Uh, 
Oklahoma State came in number 11 in the uh, CFP rankings. They are tied for second with Baylor in the Big 12 standings. If they win out, they have a, you know, a, a good chance of getting to that Big 12 championship game. So uh, it's kind of a, a most, or excuse me, kind of a must win for both teams uh, for the goals that, that are in front of them. But I, I think at this point, even though in the past, you know, I've talked a little bit about how Oklahoma State reminds me kind of of Iowa, where maybe they're not quite as good as, as we thought. And then Michigan State, I think, is moving that way into uh, the conversation for me where, you know, really good, have to take, uh, you know, have to take them very seriously. They've got a lot of key players. They've done some great things, but they're maybe not quite as good as what the pollsters or the committee or, or what have you, uh, where they rank them. But Oklahoma State still has a, a, an opportunity to play its way into some really big things. And I kind of trust Oklahoma State, I think, just a little bit more. So not a great spot. Don't love that they're on the road. Don't love how far they have to travel. But our projections line up on Oklahoma State to win this game by more than a field goal. Uh, the talent edge is actually to West Virginia, but the stats model likes Oklahoma State as well. So we have them winning and covering. Similarly, it's going to be close enough to a lot of the games we're talking about this week where it wouldn't shock me if they lose outright. But I think this is a game Oklahoma State should win. Xavier, uh, are you on o Oklahoma State here too, or do you think West Virginia can uh, take them on uh, at home because of that great home field advantage they have? Of course I'm taking Oklahoma State. I, as, as Nick was talking, I counted how many times I put Oklahoma State on the sheet. We got, we're at five. right? We're at five times this year. I'm definitely hitting the Oklahoma State quota this season because uh, I couldn't do it last year because it let me down. But, uh, I, yeah, I've got Oklahoma State. I, I think I agree with Nick in that I feel like this is a team where they're 7-1. They're ranked 11th in the country. You're waiting for that other shoe to drop. But at the same time, I'm also like, will the shoe ever drop? Because sometimes it just doesn't happen, right? And sometimes a team like Oklahoma State, like a Michigan State, like Nick was alluding to, just is able to continue to find ways to win. And then you look around and you go at the end of the year and you go, Oklahoma State finished in the top 10? Yeah. Was it impressive to start the year off? No. But they've shown, you know, an, an impressive way to finish out games over the last month, beating a Baylor, beating a Texas. Yes, they lost to Iowa State on the road. But I think those are all games that get them battle tested for this game against West Virginia. I absolutely agree with Nick. West Virginia is a hard place to play. It would be even harder of a place to play if Oklahoma State had not had to go to Texas and go to Iowa State twice in the last, you know, in the last three weeks. You know, those are two of the most hostile environments in, you know, in the Big 12. And for Texas, one of the more hostile places in the country to have to go in and win, especially when in both games you're the ranked team. You're the team with a target on your back. You're understanding what you have to play for versus the team that obviously is playing against you. You know, like Nick said. West Virginia's playing for bowl eligibility at this point. Oklahoma State's playing for an opportunity to, uh, you know, play in the Big 12 championship game and, and have an opportunity to, you know, really so you know win the, the Big 12 for the first time in God knows how long. Was was it uh was my boy Brandon Whedon the last time that they won the Big 12? You know, so I, I think at I think that point, might be right. Yeah, yeah, I love Brandon Whedon. I'm gonna um, but um. I think Oklahoma State's able to get it done here. You know, they, they, they're they finding ways to win, e even weird ways. You know, like last week, Spencer Sanders throws two touchdowns. They also bring in Shane Illingworth. He throws two touchdowns. And, yes, I understand it was against Kansas, but 
Oklahoma State consistently this year has found ways to win ball games. It may not be pretty. Their style points are at a minimum, but they're finding ways to do it. Heck, they beat Baylor and Spencer Sanders through three picks. <laughs> so, I mean, this is a team right now that, you know, I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop, but it may not drop. And I don't think it's going to drop against West Virginia this week. Um, and hopefully it doesn't for the rest of the season because that will set up one hell of a game in Bedlam uh, or for be- uh, for Bedlam against Oklahoma at the end of the year. It probably We probably see them like four versus eight. Uh, come down the stretch at that point when you see the fact that a lot of these Big Ten teams have to play against each other. So you, I think Oklahoma State can win out. Uh, I think this is going to be, you know, the biggest set to, test that they have until they get to Oklahoma. Uh, and, yes, West Virginia is coming off of one hell of a game. But is there a letdown? Do you get that letdown after last week's, you know, win over a ranked opponent in Iowa State? Uh, do you get a letdown this week? Because even though Jared Deggie and them won last week, he still threw two interceptions and the idea of Jared Deggy having to win a game, throwing the ball 46 times, should concern the entire fan base because that's not what he does well. You know, this is a guy who throws the ball 32 times a game or less. Letty Brown can run for 150, 160 yards, and that is a West Virginia win that you're like, okay, cool. We did it balanced and we did it with the right way versus Jared Deggy having to throw the ball almost 50 times is a recipe for them losing, especially against a, a very opportunistic secondary that Oklahoma State has. Uh, so I like Oklahoma State in this ball game to keep it rolling. Was Brandon Whedon uh, in 2011 led them to the Big 12 title? It was um, he had 4,727 yards, 37 touchdowns, 13 picks. Joseph Randall, your leading rusher with 1,216 yards for them. And Justin Blackman with 122 catches and 1,522 yards and 18 scores. So a huge year for Justin Blackman um, back in his heyday. Uh, But the next game that we have here, uh, we we move on to Nick's games here. Wake Forest in North Carolina. North Carolina is a two and a half point home favorite against the number nine ranked Demon Deacons. 76 is the over here. Uh, What do you like in this game, Nick? So I, I really wish that we came down on, on a different side in this one. Uh, and this game is kind of weird. I don't know if you guys remember. This is actually a non-conference game uh, because a couple of years ago, the you know North Carolina and, and Wake Forest, uh, the administrations figured out that that you know they weren't playing each other enough, uh, and so they decided to schedule a non-conference you know, series. And then they played one of the games a couple of years ago. And then this is the one I, I hadn't really heard anything about it leading into the season, but I was counting up, you know, non-con or I screwed. I was counting up uh, the conference games uh, a little bit ago. And I was like, you know what? The, these teams are playing nine ACC opponents and that's not usually how things work out. So anyway, just kind of a, a weird thing, but this one, uh, won't impact the ACC standings, but it's a you know big time matchup and, and probably uh, the the toughest test I would say for Wake Forest this year. Uh, a Wake Forest team that was in the top ten of those playoff rankings, and they've really shot up our power ratings uh, in recent weeks. So they've been incredible on offense, number four in team performance. Uh, second in passing team performance. And overall, they've played like a top 20 team. They're 22nd in our overall power ratings. Um, 
and you know uh, the roster strength numbers the the talent profile isn't what you would expect of a, a normal top 25 team or an ACC contending type team but they've got some really quality players at some big spots and an offense that can really give opposing defenses trouble Sam Hartman has played really really well this year at quarterback um, you know Christian Beal Smith has split some time a little bit at running back but he's had uh, you know, a few big games, but they've gotten some production from Christian Turner and Justin Ellison at times as well. The receiving core is one of the better groups in the ACC. Ja'Cory Roberson, A.T. Perry has stepped up in a big way, especially after Donovan Green went down with an injury before the season began. They've weathered some injury issues on defense as well. And even though they're susceptible on that side of the ball, they're 69th in team performance, 67th against the pass, 80th against the run. Uh, you know, success rate, they rank really, really low, but they've been able to do enough. They've been able to play bend, don't break at times. They've been able to, uh, you know, just beat guy, you know, beat teams in shootouts as well. That might be what they would have to do against North Carolina to win this game because North Carolina is similarly, uh, you know, statistically speaking, not great defensively. 92nd in team performance, 89 against the pass, 86th against the run. Um, they actually post some slightly better uh, numbers in some areas than Wake Forest does, yet they still rank 80th in yards per play allowed, 95th points per drive, 76 yards per pass attempt. It goes on and on. So this game should be a shootout. The, the posted total is high, 76, I believe it was. When we uh, did it officially, our projection model can't quite get there, so we are on the under. But you know, this this has the feel of another 45-42 type game. I wish we were on North Carolina. We do have North Carolina projected to win, and though you know the the Tar Heels haven't moved very much from our preseason projection they're one of the teams that uh will be able to you know put a little bit of a, a feather in our cap because we had them outside our top 25 in the preseason and they've stayed right there uh you know but they are one at home two very familiar with Wake Forest they have a more talented roster they rank 5th in roster strength including 4th on offense Sam Howell is a max rated quarterback one of the top nfl draft prospects at quarterback josh downs has been an incredible receiver now one of my favorite to watch uh ty chandler has been a good pickup at running back you know the defense again is is susceptible uh but they've got the offensive power firepower to keep up with wake forest and i think this is a game they should win i i wish our projection was stronger on north carolina I think they will win it by more than a field goal. The way it works out for us uh, from a model standpoint, officially, we see it as a one-point uh, one game, 34-33. I think you could tack you know, 10 points on either side of that, uh, and then maybe a, a few more in North Carolina's direction as well. So personally, I really, really like North Carolina in this game. I think Wake Forest – is set up though as good as they've been like some of the other teams we talked about this year i don't think they're quite top 10 level and i think they're due uh for a loss especially against what's the toughest team they've played uh so far this year again our projection i, I kind of have to root against it 
uh, a little bit or, or root against my own personal feelings a little bit because I do hope they'll be able to hang in the game. And if they are able to stay undefeated and, and win this game, that'll be a win for us against the spread. So I'd be perfectly fine with that. But I do think this is a game that North Carolina is going to win uh, by a field goal or more. So I, I wish we were on the other side, but we are on Wake Forest plus two and a half and then the under. But, you know, don't don't feel great about that. I, I think I think North Carolina is the right side in this one. Xavier, do you agree with North Carolina being the right side or are you on Wake Forest? Wake Forest is ranked and North Carolina has had some issues on defense. Yeah, but who was Wake Forest played? Like that is my biggest concern with this game, right? So you look at so you look at this game, you go, okay, Wake Forest is the number ten team in the country. They should win this ball game, right? Not necessarily, you know. UNC's played. I mean, UNC's favored. Yeah, know, yeah, that's why. you know, and UNC has played a harder schedule. They're coming off of a game against Notre Dame, which you know they they played rather well. 44-34 was the final score of that game. They figured out some of the ability to run the football. You know, even though you know a lot of that was coming from Sam Howell, they they, they found an ability to do so. They kept Jack Cohn, you know, rather pedestrian all night. The only concern was the fact that they couldn't stop Kyron Williams. Well, you talk about a Wake Forest team that isn't necessarily known for its ability to, to pound the rock. You know, this is Sam This is Sam Hartman's team, and he's going to throw the ball at least 40 times a game, and he's really going to be the, the catalyst to either them winning or losing. You know, you really look at the games in which were tight. His games were shaky at best. You know, you look at the Syracuse game, you know, he had, you know, almost under 50% completion percentage through an interception. You look at the game against Louisville, same kind of deal, you know, do an interception, almost under 50% completion percentage. So they're not a team that's going to be able to run the football and keep Sam Hartman in that offense off the field. And that's a bad sign. It sounds like it's going to be another shootout. It, it, you know, it sounds like, you know, when you have a defense like that and we have an offense that doesn't, you know, take seven, eight minutes off the clock, but really scores in a four and five minute drives, you're asking a lot from your defense, even when you give them a lead, because at that point you're asking your defense to be, you know, bulletproof for, for, for drives on end, because, you know, when you run to have a four minute touchdown drive, that's not really much rest, especially if you can't get to the next media timeout, right? You're really expecting your defense at that point to, to be the most conditioned team on the field. And that's just not going to be the case for four quarters. If they having to play, you know, several more possessions than their offense is giving them. So I think UNC can win this game. It is at home for them i think this is an opportunity for sam howell on a bigger stage like last week to have a really really good game because his draft stock plummeted after you know a, a shaky start especially after you know uh the embarrassing losses to georgia tech and florida state earlier this year so i think this game unc can win the only question for me is which sam lets down their team because that's what it's going to come down to you know it's a sam versus sam matchup it's whoever you know can can keep the ball, you know, or can, you know, keep possession going and not turn the football over. Sam Howell has been, you know, susceptible to having two, three interception games like against Virginia Tech earlier this year. And Sam Hartman has had games where it's not necessarily that he throws a ton of interception, but sessions, but he just looks inaccurate for a half, right? Where he's just not good. And he turns it on in the second half like he did against Syracuse where, you know, he woke up in the second quarter. You might not have the chance to wake up in the second quarter if UNC go, get, starts fast and gets out to a 21-7 lead, right? So I think this will be a shootout game. It's going to be probably – it's going to be one of those games where, you know, if you don't have anything else to watch at 12, yeah, here you go. I think it's going to be just a fun matchup. Uh, I'm going to go with Wake Forest to win this game because I think at the end of the day, I trust Sam Hartman to turn the ball over less than I trust Sam Howell because I think tr Sam Howell trusts himself a little bit more 
than Sam Hartman does. I know that was a lot of Sam's, can, can you, guys, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, you know, I think that Sam Howell is a little bit more of a gunslinger. He has a little bit more of that my arm is better than your defense mentality, and that can lead to a little bit more turnover prone than Sam Hartman, who's more of a – I'll just be inaccurate for a quarter, but then I'll figure it out. But I won't turn the ball over. I'll just throw – three errant balls completely out of the, the vicinity of my receiver kind of situation. So I'll go away for us in this matchup and they keep the ball rolling for them. And the only hope for the ACC to have a playoff contender. Uh, the last one I think is the hardest one to figure out this week, Nick. And uh, we talked about it on betting pros too, and you were more confident on it than I am, which is saying something. Uh, Auburn <laughs> uh, ranked uh, number 14 or they're 13. And then uh, AM's 14, right? Uh, at AM. AM is a four and a half point favorite. The over under on this one is 49. I can't figure this one out because Bo Nix has been playing so well, but I do trust in the AM defense. So, how do you see that one going? Uh, I, I was a little more confident in this one and maybe not deservedly so i mean it is in all three agree which we've talked about ad nauseum is uh not been good for us not a good indicator at least uh the first two months of this season and the margins are really really thin i mean our, our official projection is uh texas a&m by 4.57 and the talent edge is by 4.67 there's a little bit more in the stats model uh 8.44 but you know not not huge edges in in any of the three even though they all uh do line up on texas a&m as the home team we also mentioned that we changed uh the all three designation to where it's now adjusted for home field advantage started doing that a few weeks ago based on some research in the first half of the season was an obvious decision to make but again you know this wouldn't have met that criteria if we didn't get the two and a half points uh, for the home field advantage, the talent edge in that case would have only been, uh, you know, 2.1 to, to Texas A&M's favor. So these are two pretty evenly matched teams. Uh, there's, there's always the storyline, unfortunately, that Bo Nix is better at home than he is on the road. Texas A&M will be a difficult place for him to play, even though he has shown improvement on the road this year. Uh, but regardless of that history, it's pretty clear, even though Zach Calzada has actually uh, also made some improvements as he's gotten a little more comfortable taking over that starting quarterback role there, pretty clear that Auburn, I think, has an edge at the quarterback position. Uh, they're fairly even at running back, although Texas A&M is probably deeper with both Isaiah Spiller and Devin A-Chain. And also Texas A&M does have more weapons on the outside, guys like Anaya Smith, uh, Demond Demas has, has uh, you know shown up a little bit as a redshirt freshman. Jaden Wademeyer is one of the more talented tight ends in the country. Plus, they've got other talented guys down the list. Chase Lane's had his moments uh, in the past, and and you know Moose Muhammad got a little bit of uh, play earlier this year. But Texas A&M is not always great at capitalizing on the talent on hand, and even though they do have a roster that ranks 15th in roster strength. And, you know, just from a, a pure talent standpoint, uh, they've got a top 20 roster as far as average 247 rating, uh, top 10 defensively. You know, it, it just, uh, they haven't quite been able to go out and, and uh, take advantage of possible talent advantages. And then Auburn, you know, is right there with them, if not even a little bit better in a lot of those metrics they're actually top 10 
in roster strength, in part because Bo Nix is a higher-rated player based on his experience and his production than Zao Calzada at the quarterback position, and that carries a lot of weight. They kind of even out in a lot of the other offensive positions, and, and they're very similar on defense as well. Auburn got a big boost with Owen Popo coming back. Uh, he had been out for, what, I think four games this year, but was able to return against Ole Miss. And so having him, having a 100-rated linebacker, even though linebackers don't count as much as uh, defensive backs in our numbers and certainly as much as you know quarterbacks on the offensive side, it's still, you know, when you can get a maximum-rated player back in the starting lineup, pretty big deal. You throw that together with a defensive line that's been solid, not spectacular, but playing like a top 30 unit, a defense as a whole that ranks 21st in team performance, an offense that ranks 30th. You know, there's there's a lot of reason to expect uh, this is a game that Auburn could win on the road. Texas A&M has been slightly better defensively. They've played like a top 10 unit, a good bit worse on offense, but I do think that the home field advantage is is a pretty big deal here. And it's part of the reason why I felt a little more comfortable. The more I looked at it after we talked about it earlier today, you and I on the other show, I am less confident than I was then. I think we might, I probably already said this, I think we're slightly overrating Texas A&M at number seven in our power ratings. Uh, but, you know, on paper, this is a, a quality team, uh, maybe the second best team in the SEC West, and then you're getting Auburn at home, it makes sense that they would be able to win this game by more than a field goal, four and a half, a little bit of a uh, you know tough number. Um, so can they get to a touchdown? Can they get to you know, a 30-25, which is our projected final score? Um, yeah, they can. They probably might have to have a bounce go you know, their way, and some of those bounces historically have gone against Auburn on the road, especially with uh, Bo Nix at, at, you know, uh, behind center. Um, but you've, you've shaken my confidence. I do think that that's fair to say. <laughs> I, am, I am less, uh, you know, I, 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 I do see this maybe playing out more of a 24-20, uh, which would put us percentage points on, on the wrong side. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I think this is a game that Texas A&M can win. I would love to see them put it together on offense, uh, especially in the passing game, get Anaya Smith, get Jalen Watermeyer clicking at the same time. Um, but uh, yeah, well, you know, we'll see. This one, the, the margin of error is so thin, like so many of them are this week, but it is the biggest game. It's the only rank versus rank. This is the matchup that knocked Alabama and LSU out of the, the CBS slot uh, for the first time, I believe, since Nick Saban uh, was hired at, at Alabama. So, you know, it's it's the biggest game of the week, and, and hopefully it plays out like that on the field. Hopefully Texas A&M gets, you know, the bounce it needs to cover for our sake. Uh, but it should certainly be, uh, you know, big game and, and the one I'm probably looking most forward to of any this week. Uh, give us some confidence here, Xavier. Who do you like in this one? I'm not going to give you any more confidence. Oh, I'm, I'm man. Uh, this game for me is like two teams looking in a mirror. In my personal opinion, both teams want to run the football. Both teams want to limit their quarterback to throwing under 30 times a game. Uh, both teams have pretty much run the gauntlet over the last month. 
the only thing about AM is people 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 kind of forgot about AM after they beat Alabama. It's this weird thing that's happening where like they've played two games since then, but like nobody cares because they played Missouri and South Carolina. On the flip side, you've got Auburn who's been able to beat Arkansas and Ole Miss on the road, respectively, as well as also, you know, getting stomped in the face by Georgia. But neither here nor there. Um I think this game is going to come down to which quarterback can play their game the most. And what I mean by that is, can Bo Nix run out the pocket seven times this game and seven of those times he makes thir- he, he makes a third down, right? Or one of the times he scores a touchdown with it. It's probably the best front four he's played since the Georgia game, to be honest. Uh, when we're talking about defense, this is probably the best defense that he's played since the Georgia game. You know, and that's no slight to Mississippi and Arkansas, but neither one of those defenses, I would say, have been great this season. Uh, I think when you look at Bo Nix, my only concern with him is when does the luck run out? You know, he's been on fire, don't get me wrong. But when you look at his numbers and you look at how he's played, it's been very, like, it's been very Brett Farbish. It's been very, <laughs> yes, Johnny Manzelish, if we're going to say it that way, right? It's like, when does this momentum of him just doing absolutely the craziest thing on the field for, you know, six, seven, eight times a game, when does that turn into a fumble? Or when does that turn into a pick six, like the old Bo Nicks, right? You know, like I said earlier in the year, good Bo, bad Bo. <laughs> He's when do we fun. get bad, Bo? He's yeah, enjoying, enjoying the Bo offense. had a ton of fun at Ole Miss <laughs> until he didn't, right? So when does the, you know, when you're talking about Oklahoma State earlier, when does the shoe drop for Auburn? You know, on the flip side, you know, A&M, I mean, their offense has been pretty much, you know, run, get, hand the ball off and Calzada just don't turn it over, right? You know, he's got two amazing running backs back there. And if you look at their numbers over the last two games, they're almost identical, you know. Uh, uh, you know, 154 yards for Achen and, and 102 yards for Spiller. The, the game before that, I think it was 146 yards for Devin and 120 yards for Spiller. So, you know, and, and in both games, Calzada threw two touchdowns and one INT. It's a literally almost mirror copies of each other. Not mirror copies, but copies of each other from game to game. So when you look at it that way, you know what Texas A&M is going to try to do coming into this game. They're going to try to run the football. They're going to try to keep Zach, Zach Calzada from throwing the ball too much, keep it out of the defense's hands. But I'll be honest with you. I don't think Auburn has seen a team this good uh, on both sides of the football since the Georgia game. And I don't know if they're prepared for it. I'll be perfectly honest with you. Auburn is one of those teams that needs confidence to play up in a game like this. But I think AM is going to come with that sledgehammer. And I don't think Auburn's ready for it right now. I, I think that they're going to come in a little, you know, uh, a little overconfident, you know, and, and I think, you know, even maybe Brian Harson himself comes in a little overconfident. You know, this is his first year in the SEC and it's going pretty well, right? Until it doesn't. And so I think you look at this game, you look at this matchup, and you look at an AM team that, for all intents and purposes, has an opportunity right now to not necessarily control its own destiny, but let's say Alabama picks up a loss to, to Auburn in, in the Iron Bowl. AM is now your SEC West champion if, you know, if Auburn were to lose to AM. Yeah. Yes, Nick. I think, yeah, I see those, I see those gears turning. I think I'm right. I think I'm right here. Because uh, they only have two losses on the year so far. One of the, you know, and I think that they would own all the tiebreakers in that situation. So at that point, I think you you look at it this way. You look at AM, they're playing for an opportunity to still get to Atlanta, you know, and at the same thing for all the same thing goes for Auburn. But I think we get our first iteration of bad bow since his since since Georgia. I'll be perfectly honest with you. And I can't even say he was bad bow against Georgia. Georgia has turned every quarterback into the bad version of themselves this year. I'll just say he was, you know, it was good Georgia, 
bad boat. But I think we see our first, you know, two, maybe two touchdown, two interception game, you know, and, and possibly a fumble in A&M, you know, and that ridiculously uh, raucous environment at College Station gets to bow a little bit. And, and we can stop with the Auburn talk because I've had to give them way, <laughs> way too much praise over the last two weeks. As I think I've picked, this will be the third straight time I've picked against them. Yeah, and they've, they and they've this proven week. you wrong in each and of the last I two. When are you, you going to gonna care? No, I will catch on <laughs> next week when they play Mississippi State at home and I'll give them their due diligence at a noon ah, kickoff. No. They'll beat they'll beat uh, they'll beat Texas A and M and they'll lose to Mississippi State. That just that, that seems like the natural order of things, right? <laughs> yeah, more than likely. Uh, but I do like Texas A and M in this game. I think that they tur- they turned the corner after the Alabama game. I mean, to beat Alabama, you kind of have to turn a pretty large corner. Uh, but I, I think that you see a team that's kind of figured it out. Uh, where I think earlier in the year they were trying to be a little bit too cute. Uh, you know, you look at some of the passing numbers from Calzada in the games that they wish they lost. You look at the Arkansas game, he threw for he threw 40 times. You know, you look at the following game against Mississippi State. Once again, he's throwing the ball a little bit too much for my liking. And, you know, the, over the last two weeks, they've given a concerted effort, not just run the football, but to continue to run the ball. You know, we're talking about 40 carries combined for, for Spiller and Devin over, you know, each game over the last two games, I think that they know what their offense is. They know that their identity is. And I think they're living in that rather than saying, you know what, let's give the ball to Jalen Wertemeyer seven times. No, if that's not what's working for you, stick with what works. I think AM is doing what works for them. I think they win the ball game on Saturday. Uh, we'll see. You said that with more confidence than we did. So there you mm-hmm. go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, that's right. all the, right. <laughs> that's all the games. Nick, why don't you tell us about the all three agree and the wrong team favorites? All right, I'm going to try to take a deep breath here because we've got more all three agree than we've had in any uh, point at this season. I guess we're we're chasing our losses here, and we're going to get it all back in one week. Uh, we'll see. So, uh, you know, I, I I there are some that I don't agree with, but in in all, I, I feel like this might be a decent batch. Quite honestly, I, I like that we're on a lot of underdogs. Uh, there are a lot of, you know, double digit home dogs, things like that. So hopefully, hopefully we will be able to, to put quite a few of these in the win column and, and get a little bit of momentum here in, in uh, November. We're already 1-0 with Ohio being plus 7 uh, 7.5. They won that game outright. Stanford plus eight against Utah. I, I have less confidence in that. Want to know what the quarterback situation is. Tanner McKee, it sounds like, is banged up. They've got injuries. They've had a lot of injuries at wide receiver. They are getting a little healthier on defense, it sounds like. Uh, but over a touchdown there, we're, we're uh, on Stanford. I don't feel bad about that one. Missouri plus 38. I actually like that. I feel like that's just too many points, even against Georgia. Nebraska plus 15 and a half decent spot at home uh, against Ohio state, more than two touchdowns. I kind of like, but Ohio state, uh, you know, is capable of blowing out anybody and including Nebraska. So not a lot of confidence there. Louisiana tech plus 13 and a half Duke plus 21, Illinois plus 15, Kansas plus 24, Arkansas state plus 21 temple plus 15 and a half ULM plus three and a half. As we talked about against Texas, uh, Texas state, Texas A&M minus four and a half, our first favorite. Uh, Penn State minus ten and a half. Don't love that one, quite honestly, against Maryland, the way Penn State's played recently. Uh, Rice plus six, don't love. They are going to be without their starting quarterback. Middle Tennessee plus 15. 
They might also be without their starting quarterback down to their third stringer from when the season started. Wyoming has been really, really difficult to trust recently, uh, but we can't quit them. Wyoming plus four, Mississippi State plus five. Don't hate that one, actually, against Arkansas. LSU plus 29 against Alabama, similar to Missouri. Just seems like too many points, even against Alabama. FIU plus three. We actually have FIU favored to win outright against Old Dominion, but FIU has let us down several times in this type of spot this year. Colorado plus 10.5. Washington plus 6.5 against Oregon, as we talked about. Clemson minus four. I actually kind of like that one uh, against Louisville. Clemson minus four. And then Texas has really let us down in the past, but Texas plus six and a half this week against Iowa State. They're certainly capable of winning that game. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, not confidence is not super high in the Longhorns right now, but uh, we'll, yeah. we'll be rooting for them. Yeah. Uh, yes. Every week. So I, I think uh, is easy. Uh, is that it? That wraps us up, right? That that's that's all we've got. I just can't only, believe it. We're not even bumping up against two hours today. Yeah, we're not even close, so, right? Yeah, hour thirty six. So uh, yeah, we're uh, we're running short here. I thought we're okay, gonna have you to guys, filibuster. You guys want to expand a little? All right. Anyway, um, that'll wrap it up for us this week. Remember, you can follow us all on Twitter at Bogman Sports for me. At CFB Winning Edge for Nick, at Xavier underscore Trish, T R I C H E for Xavier. And, uh, you know, look, once again, congrats to your Braves, both y'all, uh, for, for your Braves winning a World Series. Lots Gross. of fun to watch. Uh, look, George has got a shot for you guys, too. So we'll see if uh, you can go, uh, you know, in a couple months. I, I, I won't make the podcast. If, if they so. won a championship, I, I won't be able to make it, guys. <laughs> I, I'll be in some random bar on the floor. I think yeah, that guys... might be the one week we usually take hopefully, a break anyway. Hopefully so. that game would be on a Monday and you'd be able to make it by Wednesday, but we'll see. Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, we'll ask for a we'll, lot. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll send you an IV or something. So, <laughs> But uh, that, that'll that wrap it up for us. Uh, like I said, fi- find us on Twitter. Uh, good luck on all your bets and, and everything y'all do, and we will see you guys next week. Take it easy, everybody.